The Ram Dama's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 5, General Kellogg invites McGee on the SRT into outer space. Chapter 2, Short on Words. I wish you'd tell me who that man was, said Effie as she followed McGee into his office. I've worked for you, Harry, for over two years. You've gone over every case with me. Well, this is different, said McGee, sitting down at his desk. How can it be different? It is, okay? Let's just drop it, Effie. There's big money involved in this one, she said very seriously and practically hovered over his desk. Yeah, all right, there's big money in this and big risk. I don't want you to know anything, Effie. It's for your own good. I'm just worried, Harry. I don't mean to tell you what to do, but... Maybe you should just stay clear of this one. I mean, the SIA. They scared me out of my wits, Harry. Well, they scare me too. I appreciate your concern. I really do. But I have to go ahead with this. It means too much. All right, she said. I won't ask any more. Do you want me to make those calls on the Collins case? Yes. I want you to call his lawyer again. But first... You can go down to the deli and get me a corned beef and potato salad, if it's all right. Right now? Yeah, please. I'm hungry. Well, if you're hungry, then I'll get on the Collins case. Oh, thank you, Effie. You're a sweetheart, McGee told her. He watched her carefully as she put on her coat and swung a red scarf around her neck. As soon as she walked out the front door, McGee pulled out his handheld computer and activated Daniel Alder's home phone number, and the video screen flashed on. Daniel J. Alder, said the computer. Connection imported, ringing. McGee used his controls under the screen to align the camera with his image. He looked into the monitor. He was still flashing the word ringing. Then the image brightened, and a woman in her late 50s, looking very tired, came into view. Hello? She said meekly. Yes, I would like to speak to Mr. Alder, please. The woman's eyes became tense and teary. Mr. Alder... Mr. Alder isn't here. Oh, uh, when do you expect him in? Mr. Alder, she said, her voice choking. Mr. Alder's jet was lost at sea more than three months ago. This is some kind of crank call. No, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, it's not. I'm very sorry, babbled McGee, now wondering just what was going on. They just sent him out on a routine investigation. The navigation system went haywire. His ship crashed and sank. Mrs. Alder, you don't have to rehash this. No, no. It's good that I talk about it. Dan would have wanted me to talk about it. Who sent him on that mission? Asked McGee, not wanting to push her too far. Why, General Kellogg, of course. She said as she grew suspicious. Who are you? McGee quickly pounded the orange button, cutting the transmission. Kellogg? He asked out loud, who the hell is General Kellogg? Is that a question, McGee? Now that you mention it, who is Kellogg? General Kellogg, age 55, has been an SIA representative and security director for the space agency since 2009. A number of pictures of Kellogg, ranging over the years, passed on the screen. Kellogg came into prominence in the early 2000s in the infrastructure of the Space Intelligence Agency, supervising formation of the new space defense systems in Earth's orbit, credited ensuring up 
the United States Defense Program in the beginning of the century. Rose to command of the SIA division in 2009, following the retirement of General David B. Craig, has kept the press and the public in the dark concerning United States space operations. Oh, in other words, said McGee, this guy is a really big deal. He's held the reins on the space program. Up until now, McGee, with this flight of the SRT alluded to by Colonel Hutchinson, a policy change is taking place. Who is behind that change? Unknown. General Kellogg is still trying to cling onto his power. Hmm. You think he could kill Alder and then take the red medal for himself? Unlikely. The general is devoted to the agency. He's never shown any inclination for a self-aggrandizement. Right. Keep me advised. Now get me expanded computer services here in the city. Jan's services? Asked the computer. Oh yeah, right. Wine is ringing. Said the computer and the screen flashed. Thank you for calling Jan's services. Jan's provides an encyclopedic as well as a statistical matrix for virtually any category. Complete history and subject areas are also available. If you are a member, please state your code at this time. 8903-0482-9AE. 8900-0382-9AE. Services are open, Mr. McGee, said the synthesized Jan voice. Thank you, said McGee, looking at the handheld computer. I have two words here, NASCOM and Banachuk. Please spell the words, it requested. I don't have the spelling, said McGee. Repeat the words. Banachuk, NASCOM. Not in the English language files. Then scan the other languages. One minute, please, said the computer. Nothing in my foreign language banks. What about slang? Already checked. Now, you can apply for an extended scan of all banks. That will take some time. Forget it, McGee told the computer as Effie walked through the door. He cut the transmission and stood. I wonder what this means, he mumbled to his computer. What does what mean? asked Effie, as if she had some ultra-sensitive hearing. She unwrapped the sandwiches and set the potato salad on his desk. It means, Effie, that someone is giving me the biggest line of crap I ever heard, replied McGee as he reached for his coat. Now where are you going? I thought you were hungry. I am, he said, grabbing half the sandwich and moved out of the room. She shook her head as he trotted through the other office and outside. The air was cold again that afternoon. McGee's apartment was less than a half a mile away. He walked rapidly down the lined sidewalks, his breath vaporizing in the air, and his mind, unchilled by the cold, began sifting Hutchinson's story. What was Hutchinson's true role in all of this high-level gamemanship? As he turned the corner, he saw his building, a 20-story circular structure, top an adjacent snow-covered hill. Something was just not right. He could feel it as he entered the outside elevator. Hutchinson would have to answer a barrage of questions. Foremost was the fact that Alder had died long before the colonel commanded shipment of the red metal on the SRT. And what of all those strange words, words not even available in the language scans? He watched the city rising below him, everything covered with snow. 
and he prepared himself for Hutchinson inside his 18th floor apartment. He moved quickly down the brightly painted hallway, past the long glass overlook windows. Picking up his pace, he entered the apartment area and stepped up to his door. His apartment was protected electronically. The lock flashed green and the door slid open. The bed was empty. McGee stumped inside, not really surprised. But he was very perturbed at the fact that Hutchinson had left. Damn it, I knew it. Hutchinson? He shouted and then he ran into the bathroom. Empty. Even the bed had been made. Boy, did I blow this one. Don't be so hard on yourself, said a crusty voice from the outside hallway. The hefty General Kellogg, in his full-dress uniform, walked into the apartment. McGee recognized him from the computer photos. Instinct, however, told him to keep that familiarity to himself. Who the hell are you? he asked dramatically. General Matthew B. Kellogg, SIA he said, walking over to McGee and shaking his hand. I must apologize for the intrusion. What are you doing in my apartment, General Kellogg, SIA? Come on, McGee, you know exactly why I'm here, said Kellogg, baring his teeth. You, McGee, are, shall we say, a victim of circumstance. How is that? asked McGee as his heart pounded. Oh, the fact that you were the lucky one that Colonel Hutchinson happened to pick out of the computer... Must have been your graphic layout, smiled Kellogg. Look, General, the man told me, as I'm sure you know, that he was framed for something he didn't do. I'm not here to discuss any stories that Colonel Hutchinson might have conjured up. Men like him tend to babble. And as I said before, you are just a victim of circumstance. I know all about the SIA. If you're going to kill me, get it over with. I have an appointment at six. Kellogg grinned broadly. I assure you, you'll be able to make your appointment, he laughed. You mean I'm not going to meet my maker just yet? No, no, not yet, said Kellogg, reaching into his pocket. He pulled out a roll of bills. As a matter of fact, for all your trouble with Colonel Hutchinson, bringing him up here and taking care of him last night, I had this email compensation to cover your expenses, he added, handing several crisp bills to McGee. $8,000, exclaimed McGee. $8,000, he asked again as he looked up at the general. A payoff. Yeah, you could say it was that, said the general, smiling at McGee's bluntness. I know who you and Baker are, McGee. I know that you were in special ops. Maybe you'd just like to play ball with us. Now, wait a minute, general. No, no, just listen to what I have to say. So, I conveniently forget everything that happened. $8,000. Wow. I thought you'd like it, he said as he looked around the room. I'm sure you can spend it on your computer hobby. Very impressive display. It looks like an SIA control center. You might even say you're a computer expert, Mr. McGee. Right, answered McGee, thinking for several moments. What if I don't keep my mouth shut? Please, let's not dwell on the negatives, said Kellogg. Then he pulled out a large red envelope from his coat pocket. What now, more goodies? asked McGee. Yes, more goodies, grinned Kellogg. I have in this envelope passes for you and a companion of your choice on the flight of the short range transport next month. The flight will last two weeks and go into deep space as well as proximate insulations. Your rooms at the Spaceport Hotel have already been reserved for three days prior to the flight. 
into outer space? beamed McGee. He could not believe the general's magnanimous offer. Oh, just let me say, he said, waving the bills, some things are just better left unsaid. I'm glad you see it my way, said the general, pleased with McGee's reaction to the obvious bribe. Look, I have to be half nuts to think I could conduct an investigation of the SIA. Be assured the matter has been totally forgotten. You're a secretary. She knows nothing. McGee knew that Kellogg had set up Hutchinson, but he believed he could both work for Hutchinson and the money, as well as take advantage of Kellogg's offer. Wow, I never thought I'd be traveling into space. And $8,000 for 24 hours work? I consider that a good hourly rate, General. Perhaps you'd like to hire me on a part-time basis, joked McGee. I'm glad to see you kept your sense of humor through all of this. And quite frankly, it's more than I expected. And may I say, if the agency can be of any service to you in your investigations, please feel free to call the spaceport. As a matter of fact, give me a call if you wish before the flight. I can't believe this. Maybe I won't be going out of business after all, he told the general. One question. What happened to Hutchinson? Hutchinson is at this moment being brought to a detention center. He will be questioned further. Well, that's not my concern. And I may just take you up on that offer of assistance, said McGee, as they walked across the room to the door. Feel free to do so, Mr. McGee. He said, and he shook McGee's hand. Nice doing business with you. Enjoy the flight. You'll find it a unique experience. The doors opened and Kellogg left as abruptly as he had come in. McGee stood for several moments. Then he headed for one of his consoles, turning on the power systems. A screen flashed on and he was getting a picture of the outside corridor. Two men had just joined Kellogg around the corner. McGee zoomed in and increased the magnification. He listened carefully as they spoke. I want that door watched. The minute McGee leaves, I want him followed, ordered Kellogg. You don't think that he bought it? I don't know. I would say that he did, but that's irrelevant. For the next few weeks, I want to keep tabs on him. Are you going back to your office, General? Right. We're going right down to Florida, he said as the inside elevator rose upward. What about the monitoring of his phone, Hector? In place, General. Good, good. We're all set then he said as he stepped inside the elevator. Good luck, boys. McGee figured they would keep on his tail. He had the full force of the SIA watching his every move, but the prospect of somehow coming in contact with the red metal was more than he could handle. Even Hutchinson's blank check would net him considerable wealth. But Hutchinson was now in a detention center. McGee knew there'd be money in solving the theft of the red metal. This whole idea was very enticing. Computer, code 13. Clear. Code 13 is clear. He could see Hernandez and the other man listening to his conversation with the computer. His mind was torn. The very presence of the men out there showed him the odds he was up against. One side of him was screaming for wealth and power, while deep inside something was telling him to forget this madness. But he wanted that metal. Damn this he muttered as the conflict reached his consciousness. He looked at the new bills. 8,000 was more than he'd ever had in his life. 8,000 was a lot of money. It was also a free ride into space. Yes, they had been more than gracious.
They could have just killed him and incinerated the body. He wandered over to the bed and fell back. To seek out Hutchinson or any of the leads would be sheer suicide. But Harry McGee had the ability to push, somewhat unrealistically, away from the negative aspects of a problem and replace the negative aspects with a consummate optimism. An optimism based on greed and ambition that went back many years. Born out of wedlock, McGee was almost immediately placed in an orphanage. Then foster home after foster home. Each new existence, laden with the strain of poverty, he had developed a resolve to get ahead and break the shackles of being poor, no matter what the cost, to gain what he had never had, to live a life free of wondering where his next meal was coming from, or whether he'd be able to buy a new pair of shoes. It was a false fear, to be sure, amplified and churned in his mind until it became compulsive. And now this compulsion brushed inside of anything of value in his life. He was devoid of moral imperatives, social causes, simple caring. He nodded his head slowly on the bed. The decision had been made. Leaping upward, he crossed the room, watching the SIA men on his monitor. As he activated the phone, he saw them looking at a handheld monitor in Hernandez's hand. Get me my office, he told the computer. McGee Investigations, good afternoon, answered Effie as she came into view. She smiled when she saw McGee. McGee, you're at home. Yes, Effie, I'm at home, and I won't be back to the office. Did something come up? Yes, and I feel lousy, he said as the SIA man chuckled. I'm just going to put on some music and stay in bed. Any messages can wait until tomorrow. That's the way you want it. Yeah, just hold down the fort till I get back. Will do. I hope you feel better, Harry. I can bring you something from the pharmacy. No, no, I'll be fine. Good night, Effie, and thanks. He hurried over to another console next to the window and began physically programming several systems. Classical music blasted out of several speakers. Outside, the men listened through their earpieces as other systems kicked into place. A player with a multitude of tracks was piping out an intricate program of sounds from footsteps to blenders. To any listener, it was the unmistakable impression of activity within the apartment. Even if someone knocked on the door, the computer could answer in his voice. He looked at the monitor. They were still listening. The machine was working. McGee went into action, moving quickly as he changed into his street clothes. Faded jeans, black insulated jacket, stocking cap, and gloves. He stuffed the money in his pocket and checked the computer systems one more time. The machine was fabricating a conversation with one of his girlfriends who actually lived in the city. The SIA man, unaware of the true reality, listened in with obvious enjoyment as McGee moved toward the window. He was ready to leave, and he pushed the window switch. The blinds moved aside, the right portion of the window slid upward, and cold air oozed into the apartment. McGee stepped out on the ledge, suddenly realized he was standing 18 stories above the parking garage below. Pushing the outside switch, he closed the window. The winds were gusting heavily at this level. He had to stop several times, grasping the window enclosures with his leather gloves. Soon he made it over to the outside elevator and moved down from the upper floors. Gulping, he reached out for the outside frame and hopped on. He looked down once and then closed his eyes and waited it out. The elevator neared the top of the parking garage. McGee set himself and leaped perfectly onto the moving car. 
He landed on top of one of the parked turbos, cushioning his fall, but producing a prodigious dent in the hood. Rolling off, he scanned the upper level. He was tempted to take his own turbo, but that would just arouse SIA suspicion. The only clear way out was the subway. Very slowly, he headed for the stairway. For the moment, he had eluded the SIA surveillance. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Damas Kingdom, Who Is He Who Commands the Masses? Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.